the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Our sin looks so much worse on somebody else. And what a bummer it is when we get caught lying. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching us God's truth right from the Bible with lessons that we may not want to hear, but we need to hear. Let's jump right in today's study. I entitled this message, Reaping What We Sow. Yes, there is always a time to reap from what we have sown in our lives. I wish we could all just come to the point where we really understood that principle. If we did, we would reap far less into our lives. Yes, reaping from what we have sown is the payback from what we did. If we still, it will be stolen from us. It's a spiritual law. I learned that way back in my youth. I stole the bicycle. I thought I had fully gotten away with it. But when I least expected it, guess what? It came back on me. It was many years later. I had purchased my first 10-speed bicycle. I had spent my entire life savings up to that point on this bike. And it was an awesome bike. It was so awesome that someone else liked it better than me. And they stole it. Oh, I couldn't believe it. I remember walking home. I was about 13 years old. I was walking home from downtown. I was a couple miles from my house. I was devastated. I was crushed. I mean, how could someone do that to me? I wonder if the kid that I stole their bike had felt the same way. Probably so. Being dishonest seems to work just great until people are dishonest with us. How could they do that? How could they just bald-faced lie to us? Yes, our sin looks so much worse on somebody else than it does on us. And what a bummer it is when we get caught lying. How humiliating. I remember when I had just turned 18 years old, I was renting this dumpy little one-room apartment. You came in the door, and you were in the living room, family room, bedroom, kitchen, all in one step. (laughs) And it was in the worst part of Ontario. I remember pulling up at night, and there'd be people taking drugs, and there was all these other people around there, and I'd just kind of walk in there, hi, (laughs) how's it going? You know, and I was just, there was creepy noises, and I'm just laying there. You know, I just turned 18, you know. My parents had got divorced when I was 16, so I was on my own, and I was just, oh, yeah, you know, I can't believe I'm in this place and, you know, all of these things. And anyway, so I had this apartment and then all of a sudden an opportunity came up to move to a nicer part of Ontario that this guy was going to rent me a bedroom in his house. I'm like, yes, this is awesome. 
And so I went to the person that I was renting this little dump from, and I came up to him, and I came up with this whole ginormous lie to try to get my money back. So I told him, I said, well, you know, my mom lives in Northern California, and she got really sick, and I have to move out of here and go take care of my mother. The man was so nice to me. He totally understood. He was a Christian. And he let me out of that apartment, gave me all my money back. He even prayed for me as I walked away. (laughs) Okay, this is BC, by the way. Just want to establish that, okay? This is before Christ, before Christ. So then I'm thinking everything's great. About three months later, my mom, who was living in San Diego and very healthy, by the way, uh, living in San Diego, she calls her. She's getting married in Upland. Okay, great. So I go to her wedding, and my mom introduces me to the pastor doing the ceremony. It was that guy. <laughs> like, like. There's 10,000 pastors that can wedge you in Southern California. You picked the same guy. What is the chance of that happening? She brings me up to you. She goes, this is my son. And he looks at me and he says, we've already met. (laughs) I'm just like, he didn't spill the beans on me. He didn't say anything. He just looked at me. He didn't look at me mean. He just looked at me and smiled. (laughs) I'm just like, oh, it was like... Oh, daggers going in my chest at the time. Yes, we will always reap what we sow. It might not happen right away. Oh, but it will happen. Even non-Christian cults understand this spiritual principle. They might call it something like karma. Oh, if you sow bad karma, then you're going to reap bad karma. Yes, even the atheist knows it. He'll just say, hey, man, what goes around comes around. Yet, if we all know it and everyone seems to understand it, why do we keep doing wrong? Why do we do things that we know will come back on us? I guess it's just because we think we'll get away with it this time. But we will not get away with it forever. Just like my bicycle, I reaped what I sowed a few years later. Yes, one thing for sure, it's always best to do what's right. It's never wrong to do the right thing. And if we do the wrong thing, it's always best to immediately own up to it as soon as possible and repent to the Lord while making amends to those who we offended. Then we can move on. If we don't, trust me, somehow, somewhere, oh, it's going to come back on us. I remember when I was 11 years old, I stole something out of a car. My brother put me up to it. I don't even remember what it was, but it turned out to be a major heartache for me. Again, for two reasons. Number one, I was in bondage to my big brother. Why? Because he was blackmailing me. He threatened to tell my mom that he's the one to talk me into doing it. Then he's like, hey, if you don't give me your allowance this week, 
I'm going to tell mom and dad. Like, what? What? No, don't tell him. I gave him my allowance. I gave him, I had cool little things. He took all my cool stuff. Then my mini bike, which was my prize and possession, had my Briggs and Stratton engine on it. So he was like, hey, I'm going to take your mini bike out for a ride. Like, no. He goes, I'm going to tell mom and dad, okay. Oh, it's like it was horrible. But not only was that, number two, I was really experiencing major guilt. It was just, it was horrible. I remember feeling so bad. We must understand, God has given to each and every one of us a conscience. It's what tells us on the inside that we've done something wrong. And I was absolutely eaten up with that guilt. And by the way, if you're doing things that you know are wrong right now, and your conscience is not like throwing off flares and saying, hey, you're guilty, you're guilty. You have seared your conscience. You know, it's like getting a callus on your hand. You swing a hammer long enough, you'll build calluses up and you won't get blisters anymore. And if you've calloused your heart, you need to get before God and say, you know, Lord, yeah, I need a new heart. Created me a new heart, like David said, because David had gotten so calloused in his sin that he says, God created me, create from, from nothing, give me a new heart because I've calloused this one. I have wore this heart out. But yes, that heart, when we feel guilt and shame, it's because we're guilty and we've done shameful things. But I finally couldn't take it anymore as an 11-year-old, and I finally went to my mom, and I confessed all that I had done. I'm a thief, Mom. This is what I did. I told her everything. And that's when she uttered those horrific words. Wait until your father gets home. I was like, oh, and it's like, my, now my dad was a long distance truck driver, so he wasn't going to be home for like three days. And I'm just like, oh, wait until your father gets home. It's like, oh, it's like, oh, I'm going to get worked. It's like, so my dad finally gets home. He was gone for like seven days and then he'd be home for a couple of days. Well, he gets home and I'm just waiting for this, the, the, the floodwaters to come, you know, like a tsunami over my soul and just him beat the living tar out of me. And, and my mom forgets. So he gets back on the truck to go for another seven-day trip, right? And the, the next day she goes, I forgot to tell your father about you. I'm like, oh, well. <sighs> so then seven more days comes by. He comes back home. He's home for two days. She forgets again. I'm like, yes, there is a God in heaven. <laughs> it's like, we never went to church, but I figured there must be. That went on for three weeks. She kept forgetting. So I'm not, I'm forgot about it now. I'm like, I'm done. I'm moving on. You know, it's like, and we're sitting at the dinner table and she goes, so Steve, do you have something you want to tell your father? And I'm like, no. <laughs> she goes, oh, I think you do. And I'm like, oh, I can't believe it. So I go, I stole something out of the car in the alley. And Rick has been blackmailing me. He took all my money. He took my mini blanket. <laughs> it's like, and my dad, he looks at my brother and goes, you blackmail your own brother? You blackmail your own flesh and blood? And I'm like, oh, this is great. It's like the the greatest day of my life. And he's just ripping on my brother for like 15 minutes. Don't you ever do that to your own flesh and blood. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm under the table. I'm clapping. I'm pulling the party poppers. And then he looks at me and he goes, and don't you steal anymore. Yes, sir. It was over. I'm like, oh, wow, this is great. 
Yes, there was always a day of reckoning, though, obviously. My brother suffered more for that one than I did. But the Bible tells us in Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. Don't delude yourself. God is not mocked. Whatever a man or a woman sows, this you will also reap. Like no matter what, it will come back on you. For the one who sows to his own flesh, from his flesh he will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, from his own spirit will reap life eternal. Know this, there is a cost for sin. There is a price to pay. When we do wrong, it was always going to come back on us. But today, as we continue in our study through the book of Genesis, we will focus on Jacob's older sons, the ones who, because of jealousy, the ones who, because of bitterness, sold their little brother Joseph into slavery. We've spent the last few studies looking at all the misery that Joseph had to go through because of his brothers. Joseph had to endure the heartbreak of being sold for 20 pieces of silver by the hands of his own flesh and blood, then being purchased by this wealthy Egyptian like a commodity. Yet God, as we saw, was with Joseph, and he blessed him every step of his life. And as you know, the wife of this wealthy Egyptian named Potiphar, well, she was a, how do you say it? A loose woman. She tried everything she could to tempt Joseph. The Bible says that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. He was ripped. This man was good looking. And she wanted to sleep with him. She would say, lie with me. Come lie with me every single day. Yes, She was a naughty girl. But Joseph, he stood his ground. And he says, no, look, lady, I can't do this great evil and sin against God. And after being told no, Mrs. Robertson, I'm sorry, Mrs. Potiphar, she's just like, oh, well, you know, you're going to turn me down? She falsely accused Joseph of attacking her, which then he was thrown into prison falsely accused. And after a few years of prison, like six, seven years of prison, the king's cupbearer, who was greatly helped by Joseph while he was in prison. How did that happen? Well, the cupbearer was falsely accused of a crime, just like Joseph was. And Joseph came to him one morning and he was all shook up. Hey, what's wrong? And he says, well, I had this dream, and it's kind of freaking me out. So he tells them the dream, and Joseph says, well, in three days, you know, you're going to be set free, and you're going to be serving Pharaoh once again. Well, Joseph said, look, when you get out, because you will get out in three days, do me a favor. Would you tell Pharaoh, the king, I have been falsely accused like you, and would you get me out of this dungeon? But the Bible tells us that he forgot Joseph. And then we go into another chapter, and then the first verse of the next chapter said in verse 41, another two years went by, just like that. Boom, we go from one chapter to the next, two years went by. I think it would be safe to say that the line was starting to get pretty long 
for those people that Joseph could be extremely bitter towards, bitter towards his brothers, selling them to Ishmaelite slave traders, you know, bitter towards the slave traders as he pleaded with them all the way down on the trip to Egypt and they wouldn't listen to him, bitter towards Potiphar believing his hussy wife that falsely accused him, bitter towards her, bitter towards so many people, bitter towards the cupbearer that promised to tell Pharaoh about him being falsely accused. I mean, where does the line end of people that he could be bitter towards? But then, two years later, a crazy dream that Pharaoh had. It shook him up. He had this dream of seven fat, healthy cows And all of a sudden, seven gnarly, skinny, totally ugly, nasty-looking cows came up and ate the healthy cows. This left Pharaoh terrified. That's when he went to all of his wise men and the magicians of Egypt and said, you know, you got to tell me what this dream means. I'm, I'm terrified inside about it. And all the wise men of Egypt and the magicians, they, they're like, man, we just don't know. We don't have a clue what this dream means. Then all of a sudden, bing, the light bulb goes on in the cupbearer's mind. And he remembered how Joseph interpreted his dream two years earlier. Earlier. And that's when they call for Joseph to come out of prison. And imagine this. He wakes up in the same prison that he's been waking up for the last, who knows, 10 years. And all of a sudden, he wakes up in the dungeon. But now he's got a bath and new clothes and a new hairdo and all of this. And he's standing before the most powerful man on planet Earth. And then what does God do? After Pharaoh tells him his dream, God gives him the interpretation of the dream. And he says, those seven fat cows represent seven years of great abundance. But the other cows, the ugly cows that come and eat the fat cows is going to be followed by seven years of extreme famine. That's when Pharaoh recognized the hand of God on Joseph's life. And he says, well, what do you think we should do? He says, you need to raise up a wise man that can be wise over all the food for the next seven years of abundance that he can store all the food for the seven years of famine that's going that's to be following. And so he says, well, where in the world am I going to find a wise man like that? How about it's the guy standing right in front of me? And he raises up Joseph. Again, imagine he's been in prison for who knows, 10 years. And it's like he wakes up in the dungeon that morning. And now he's getting the signet ring of Pharaoh put onto his hand, and he's made the second person in charge of all of the known world. How does that happen? Only God can make that happen. You talk about a rags to riches story. Here it is. Joseph went from the pit of the dungeon to the top of the ivory tower. We saw firsthand how God used all the years of Joseph's misery to mold and to shape him into who God had desired him to be. All those years that you think were a waste, all those years like, oh my goodness. But yet God was pouring his wisdom into Joseph for the express purpose of God's eternal plan. 
There was a bigger plan that was happening while he was molding him with all those years of devastation. Yes, God used the hardships in our lives to mold character into our lives. None of us like hardship. None of us like difficulties. But yet that's where you learn those life-changing characters in our lives. It's through hardship so that we can reach those who are walking down the same path of pain that we've had to walk down, that we've had to endure ourselves, so that we can point them to the gracious Savior who can be their rock and their refuge to those who wish to be delivered. But not everyone wishes to be delivered. Do you remember the man at the pool of Bethesda? He had been there for almost 40 years. And every time he tried to get down to the water, when it was stirred, they believed that an angel stirred the water. And whoever got on first, they would get healed. And this man would try to get there, but someone would always beat him down. And so Jesus sees this man and and says, do you wish to be healed? What kind of a question is that? It's like, of course I wish to be healed. Of course, but I just can't get to the water fast enough. It's like I need someone to help me get in. But it's like you think, Was it really that ridiculous of a question to ask him if he wished to be well? Because it's like me asking you a question. Do you wish to be well? You would say immediately, yes. Okay, are you willing to change the course and direction of your life? Are you willing to follow the Lord? Are you willing to put off those things that you have in your life that aren't right? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow him? See, all of a sudden, it's a different type thing now. It's like, are you really willing to follow the Lord with everything you are? That's what Jesus was asking this man. Do you wish to be well? If you, do you wish to, to be right with God? Do you wish to put off the things that are old and the things that are wrong? Because not everyone is willing to do that. Not everyone is willing to put aside their own fleshly desires to follow the Lord first. Not everyone wants to do that. Well, now we can point to the gracious Savior for those that want to. Those that want to follow the Lord, they can. Remember, God loves and cares for every single person on planet Earth. Even the ones that we don't care about, even the people we don't like. Face it, there's people we don't like, people that give us a hard time, people that write us, family members that never have anything good to say about us. And beyond it, if you're honest, you'd say, yes, just wait until the rapture happens and you'll be left to die. Judgments will come upon you. Yes, you know. And it's like, you know, we feel that way sometimes, you know, because why? Because we don't like them. We don't like them. We don't like what they're about, you know, and maybe they are a jerk. That's fine. But guess what? God cares about them. And God is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Didn't we do mean stuff before we came to Christ? Didn't we kind of step on people before? Well, God's saying, look, you know, we were the same way until we came to Christ. Yes, God is concerned about our eternity. For every single man, woman, and child, he is not willing that any would perish. That's why he came to the world. That's why he died on the cross for the sin of all humanity. Yes, there was a bigger picture for Joseph's life. 
All we've seen for Joseph all these years that we've looked at him through the scripture is just one hardship after another hardship after another. But God had it all in store because he was going to turn it all around. That's what the Bible says in Romans 8, 28. He says what? He says that God causes all things to work together for good to those that love God. Joseph loved God and he turned it around for him. Now, it didn't happen in his timing. His timing is like, get me out of this dungeon the day he got in. But no, he was going to spend about 10 years there. See, God was going to do something bigger than he could ever ask or think. God was going to save a nation through Joseph from a horrible plague that was about to happen. A famine of humongous proportions where the world's food production would drop to nothing. This catastrophe, this catastrophic event will bring Joseph now face to face with his older brothers, the ones that sold him as a slave many years earlier. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Church is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California, 90034. 